You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. So John chapter 5, starting in verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defence, Jesus said to them, My father is always to his work. My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honour the son just as they honour the father. Whoever does not honour the son does not honour the father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favour, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone, someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another 
but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Thanks, Tracy. Uh, if you haven't met me before, my name's Aaron. I'm also one of the pastors here at DPC. Uh, thanks for being here on this long weekend. Uh, it's great to have you all here. Uh, there's an outline of my sermon on the welcome card. Uh, maybe you're someone who finds outlines useful, the kind of logical flow of things. Maybe you're not. Uh, it'd be great, though, if you have a Bible open so that you can follow along. Uh, let's pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that this afternoon uh, that you might enable us to hear the powerful voice of Jesus, your Son, as we look at this, your word. Uh, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. Sorry, I might have moved that. Uh, well, I wanted to start by telling you all how I really loved my grandma. Uh, of course, in a, in a real sense, I loved all my grandparents. Uh, I'm not meaning to play favourites, but my grandma was particularly special to me. Uh, maybe you've got a grandparent who's similar. Uh, I particularly loved with my grandma uh, the kind of depth of conversation that we could have. Uh, we had a very similar sense of humour, so we were often laughing, laughing together. Uh, we liked actually some of the same music at least. Uh, we enjoyed listening to that together. I also love Grandma's apricot jam. I don't know if you've got a grandma who makes particularly good jam, but my grandma had a, a wonderful apricot jam tree in the backyard. Every year she'd pick off all the fruit and make this delicious jam. I loved my grandma. Sadly, a couple of weeks before Gabby and I got married, my grandma died. I remember sitting in the hospital down at Melbourne Private on, what's that road, Royal Parade, sitting there in the hospital next to my grandma, uh, she was getting pretty weak and frail. Uh, she was so eager to last to our wedding. Just two weeks more, she was trying to hang on. Uh, but she didn't make it. And so I went along to the funeral. It was at one of those, you know, those crematorium kind of things where you're, you're standing there and you can watch the, the coffin get sucked in behind the curtain. And you're thinking, gee, well, that, that's it. It's all pretty final, isn't it? The grandma who I'd loved and shared so much with was gone. And in those moments of, uh, of grief and loss, as I got used to life without my grandma, uh, the reality is a whole bunch of people, in well-meaning ways, said lots of kind and comforting and really nice words to me. I'm sure you've heard these words before. You know, I'm thinking of you, hang in there, things will get easier. And I'm not demeaning those words, they, they really did mean well and they were thoughtful. The reality is, though, they made no difference to the thing that mattered most, did they? The fact was that my grandma, who I loved, was gone. And the words of all the people around me were powerless to do anything in the face of death. And now maybe you think that's a little bit morbid for a Sunday afternoon on a long weekend. But it is one of the great realities of life, isn't it? One day, all of us are going to die. 
I haven't looked into the stats most recently, uh, but as far as I'm aware, 100% of every one person who have lived have died. You can check up the stats uh, later on. Maybe you can Google that question. Sorry, that's a bit of a joke. But, uh, like, death seems to have a pretty good strike rate. Uh, Mark Twain, uh, he had on his gravestone uh, the inscription, I knew something like this was going to happen. Right? Like, this is one of the great realities of life. One day, all of us are going to die. So I wonder what the voices in your life have to say about what's going to happen when you die. What do the voices in your life have to say at the gravesite in the face of this ultimate reality of death? And the fact is that often the best we have is kind and comforting and well-meaning words that in the real sense make very little difference in the face of death and provide very little clarity on what's actually going to happen when we die. The voice of Jesus is different. The voice of Jesus is not powerless in the face of death like our voices or the voices of people around us. The voice of Jesus is powerful in the face of death. That's what we see in today's passage. The voice of Jesus offers us real clarity in the face of death. He has absolutely no confusion in his mind. He says in this passage that what happens when we die is all of us are going to front up before him as judge. No confusion, just clarity from the voice of Jesus. And the voice of Jesus offers us real hope in the face of death. Because you look at this passage, you'll see that if you listen to the voice of Jesus, God's son, he can give you new life and declare you innocent before God, not just in the future, but today. Right today in this church service, that's what he can do. If you listen to the voice of Jesus, God's son, He can give you new life. He can declare you innocent before God. Not just in the future, but today. That's where we're headed. What does the voice of Jesus, the powerful voice of Jesus, have to say in the face of these ultimate realities, death and judgment? So let's dive into the passage. First in verses 16 to 20, we see that Jesus, God's son, healed the paralyzed man on the Sabbath. That's the passage that Adam preached on last week in verses 1 to 15 of this chapter. He did that because as the son of God, he must do the same works as his father. If you take a look at verse 16, John says there, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. The Jewish leaders were dirty with Jesus for breaking their law of the Sabbath, not only healing someone on the Sabbath, but encouraging the healed man to pick up his mat and walk around because they had all these rules about what it meant to rest on the Sabbath. And one of them said, hey, how dare you pick up a mat and walk, even if you have been healed from paralysis. You know, you shouldn't be so excited. Settle down. Right? And so the Jewish leaders were really dirty about this, and so they said, uh, they, in a really focused and deliberate way, started to persecute Jesus. They wanted to stamp out his influence among the people. So in verse 17, Jesus defends himself. He says, My father is always at his work uh, to this day, and I too am working. And maybe you remember in John chapter 4, verse 34, you can flip back to it later on if you like, 
Uh, but Jesus, as the son of the father, delights to do the will and work of his father. We looked at this a few weeks ago. That is what nourishes Jesus. It's what feeds his soul. But here Jesus is saying that he knows that his father, even though his father rested from his work of creating the world, or you can read about that back in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, he rested from his work of creating the world on the very first Sabbath, his father never rests from his work of sustaining the world. But every moment of every day, his father is at work bringing life and sustenance to everyone and everything on the planet. He doesn't take 24 hours off every week. His father is always at work. So Jesus is saying, as the son of the father, who he's saying, I delight to imitate my father, to be like my father, to do what my father does. That means I too am always at work. Always at work, bringing life and blessing and healing wherever I go. And that's the whole point of the Sabbath. Well, this is red rag to a bull to the Jewish leaders, right? Look in verse 19, or verse 18, rather. For this reason, John says, they tried all the more not just to persecute Jesus, but to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, uh, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Why do the Jewish leaders get it? In calling God his own father, Jesus is actually making the claim that he is God. God himself in human form. He's making himself equal with God. And for a bunch of Jewish people who believed that there was one true God, you know, they were monotheists, not like all the nations around them that worshipped many gods, This was the height of blasphemy. How dare Jesus claim to be God? Unless, of course, it's true. In which case, it's not blasphemous at all. It's just Jesus telling people honestly about who he is. Oh, Jesus knows that's what they're thinking. So in verse 19, he says, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. There's a real cultural context to this, isn't it? In Jesus' day, Jewish sons probably uh, really did watch what their fathers did and imitate what they did. In the workshop, for example. So that one day they could participate in the family business and ultimately take over the family business. It's probably what Jesus himself did with his father Joseph in the carpentry workshop, you know. Jesus starts his public ministry when he's 30. He's probably busy imitating his earthly father until then. But here he's not talking about his earthly father, is he? He's talking about God, his father, in heaven. And he's saying that as God's son, I delight in doing the will and work of my father. In fact, I've humbly surrendered, Jesus says, to only doing what I see my father doing. And to only doing what my father shows me. And that's where verse 20 comes in. How can, father, how can Jesus do what his father does? Well, it's because of verse 20. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. I don't know about your dad, but some fathers are pretty distant and disinterested, don't they? Aren't they? 
They don't want to keep their kids at arm's length. I've even asked some people who are you know, in their 20s, said, oh, what is it that your father does? They've actually, they don't really know. Because their dad never let them in. I'm not casting aspersions on those dads and whether they love their kids or not. But there is God the Father, because he loves Jesus, his son, lets him in on everything. He shows him the fullness of who he is and what he does. And because Jesus, God's son, loves his father, he wants to show the world the fullness of who his father is and what he does. You see, the delightful, kind of other-person-centred, selfless love right at the heart of reality between God the Father and the Son and the Spirit. The Son healed the man on the Sabbath because he was copying his dad. He has to do what God his Father does. And that's a pretty amazing work, but in verses 20 to 23, Jesus says, you haven't seen anything yet, right? The Father's going to show me even greater works, right? The first greater work is in, uh, sorry, in the second half of verse 20, you see Jesus says, yes, and the Father will show uh, the Son even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. If you flick back through John's gospel, Jesus has already done some pretty amazing works, turning water into wine, healing the royal official's son, healing the paralysed man. Jesus says there's even more amazing stuff coming. What are these greater works? Take a look in verse 21. First, it's the greater work of giving people new life. For just as the Father raises the dead, Jesus says, and gives them life, even so the Son gives gives life to whoever he is pleased to give it. Don't miss that. If you've ever stood by the graveside of someone you love, your ears should prick up at this point. Here is someone who claims to not be powerless in the face of death. He claims to be able to give life to absolutely whoever he pleases. That's the first greater work of giving new life. The second in verse 22 uh, is the greater work of exercising judgment. Moreover, Jesus says, the father judges no one. Uh, He's entrusted all judgment to the son. And now perhaps you struggle with this idea of judgment, you know, a great day of reckoning. On the other hand, all of us know what it's like to be victims of evil and injustice and oppression. And if you haven't experienced much of that yourself, no doubt you've seen those sort of things in the world around you, in other people's lives. So at least in some sense, it's actually a really comforting thing to know that one day every evil will be punished. Every injustice will be set right. Why? Because the Father has entrusted judgment to Jesus, his Son, and he as the judge will set all things right. And in verse 23, where we see that the Father has given the Son uh, these greater works of giving you life and exercising judgment uh, so that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father uh, who sent him. You see what the Father's passionate about 
He's passionate about people seeing Jesus, his son, as he really is. As seeing the fullness of his glory. Remember where John starts. And we beheld his glory. John 1 verse 14. The glory of the one and only son from the father. This is what the father wants. He wants people to see the glory of his son and give him the honour that he deserves. The praise he deserves. The love and worship and adoration that he deserves. And so the father gives him these great responsibilities. These greater works of giving new life and exercising judgment. So when we get to the end of verse 23, maybe the question in our minds might be, how is it that we can escape this judgment that the Father's entrusted to the Son and enjoy the new life that he can give us? Good question. Jesus answers it in verses 24 to 30. So firstly, in verses 24 to 27, Jesus talks about what he could do in your life right now, today. In these verses, we see the Son has the power to give you new life and declare you innocent before God today. Verse 24, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. You notice the emphasis there on hearing Jesus' word. Now, we know in other parts of life, I know that my kids haven't really heard my words unless they do what I've asked them to do. They say to me, oh, yeah, I heard you say that. Yeah, but why didn't you do it? Oh, well, you know, couldn't be bothered or whatever, right? So hearing Jesus' words isn't just about having his words kind of register in your eardrums. It's about trusting his words, delighting in his words, building your life upon his words. Hearing and believing. That's the other part here, isn't it? Believing in the Father who sent the Son. Again, believing isn't just about ticking off some intellectual boxes about who Jesus is. It's about depending on Jesus. How many of you would have seen this illustration before? Let me go. How would you know if I really believed in this chair? This chair was dependable. It wouldn't be because uh, I kind of stood here and told you a bunch of facts about the chair. I told you, you know, that the kind of uh, what, what, you know, the kind of the weight that it could handle. You'd know if I truly believed in the chair. If I sat on it, right? That's how you know. That's that's what belief is in John's gospel in the Bible. He's saying, are you ready to depend on Jesus? To lean on Jesus? to put the weight of your life upon Jesus. And Jesus says anyone who hears his words and believes in him who sent him has eternal life. Notice that he doesn't say you will have eternal life. You know, we sometimes say, oh, you believe in Jesus and it's a free ticket to heaven when you die. That's eternal life. No, Jesus says If you believe in him and hear his voice, you have eternal life right now today. This is not some future physical resurrection that the Jewish leaders Jesus is speaking to probably believed in. This is a spiritual resurrection that can happen right now for everyone who hears Jesus' voice and believes in him. 
And Jesus said we can be sure that this eternal life is absolutely secure because, you notice that, he says, we will not be judged. It's not like you get to the end of your life and you'll be condemned after all. See, the reality is uh, that God, God the Father, keeps a detailed book of records of all of our deeds. Uh, It's a bit of a scary thought, the good deeds, the bad deeds, the ugly deeds. It's all there. That's part of what the word omniscient means. He knows everything. So what does that mean? It means that when Jesus, he's entrusted, uh, the Father has entrusted to the Son the judgment of us for our deeds. And the reality is that in and of ourselves, we would fail that judgment dismally. Like, I do some good things, but plenty of bad and ugly things. And I don't think you're that different to me. Jesus is the only one who's ever lived a life with no bad or ugly deeds the only truly innocent one. And yet, upon the cross, Jesus died the death of a guilty one. He bore the judgment that you and I deserve for all our bad and ugly deeds, so that by faith in him, it is right for him to declare us innocent before God. Because we receive Jesus' innocent record. Right? So it's right for him to declare us innocent before God, not, not because he's a dodgy judge who just sweeps our sin under the carpet, but because your sin, my sin, our sin has already been judged in his death on the cross. So Jesus can say, if you hear my voice and believe in me, you will not be judged. Because God will not judge your sin twice. If it's been judged in the death of Jesus on the cross, you will not be judged. And so you can be sure of having this life forever. So look at the end of verse 24, is it? Jesus says that if you hear his voice and believe in him, You have crossed over from death to life. This could happen today for you. You're no longer among those, Jesus says, who, spiritually speaking, are dead. Because their sins separate them from Jesus, the source of life and everything good. You're among those who are spiritually alive, but because you've been brought into relationship with Jesus. Remember John in John 1, in him was life, and that life was the light of all men. So in verse 25, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come. This is not a future thing. It's right now today. It has now come. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. The voice of Jesus, God's son, is powerful in the face of death. Because look at verse 26. For as the father has life in himself, he has granted the son also to have life in himself. I don't think we often think about this. Uh, We just kind of assume that the next breath we take is going to come. 
Uh, but the reality is that every breath we take is dependent on God. We don't have life in ourselves. God gives us life. Every moment of every day, every breath we take. And Jesus is saying, I'm not like that. I've got life in myself, independent life. Life that I'm free to bestow, to give to absolutely anyone who hears my voice and believes in me. And in verse 27 again, Jesus assures us that if he gives you this life that he's able to give you, you can be sure that it's going to go on forever. For the Father has given the Son all authority to judge. When you die, it's not like... It's not like your record of sin, good, bad and ugly deeds is going to be kicked up to a higher court that's above Jesus. Something Jesus missed. Oh, whoopsies, you know, you're actually judged. No, no, no. All authority to judge has been given to the Son. There's no higher court. It's his verdict, his declaration that you are innocent before God that matters most. And Jesus says here, you can be sure that if the Son declares you innocent before God, you are innocent indeed. Jesus, God's Son, has the power to give you new life and declare you innocent before God right now today. Uh, Second verses uh, 28 to 30, he can do all that in the future too. Verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, uh, Do not be amazed uh, at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear the voice, uh, hear his voice rather, and come out. Uh, Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what what is evil uh, will rise to be condemned. Jesus is saying, if you think it's amazing that I can give people new spiritual life right now today, then wait till you see what I'm going to do at the end of the world. Because by the power of my voice, just as God spoke and created life, In the first creation, in the new creation, Jesus, God's son, is just going to speak and absolutely everyone is going to be raised from the dead. That's what Jesus is saying. There is power in the voice of God's son. And once he's raised absolutely everyone from the dead, Jesus says he's going to carry out the judgment that the father has entrusted to him. Those who have done good, Jesus says, which I take primarily to be those who've heard his voice, and believed in the Father who sent him, those ones, Jesus says, will be raised to live forever with God and his people. But those who've done evil, which I take again to be primarily those who've refused to hear the voice of Jesus, who've refused to believe in him, those will be raised to condemnation, Jesus says. Why? Well, because Jesus is just. And if your sin wasn't condemned in Jesus' death on the cross because you believed in him, then it must be condemned in the future. And in verse 30, Jesus again assures us, hey, I'm not going to get anything wrong in this judgment. It's going to be fair and just and righteous. Why? Because he does everything in dependence upon God his Father. And his father is fair and just and righteous. 
If you listen to the voice of Jesus God's son today, he can declare you innocent before God and give you new life, not just just today, but also in the future. These are massive claims Jesus is making. He understands that. So in verses 31 to 37, he calls out a couple of witnesses to testify to the truth of what he's saying. First, he calls on his father's testimony. Take a look in verses 31 and 32. He says, if I testify about myself, my testimony isn't true. There is another who testifies in my favour, and I know that his testimony about me is true. Now, at first, that sounds a little bit strange, doesn't it? It sort of sounds like Jesus is saying, hey, you know all that stuff I've just been saying? Not true. It's not what he's saying, right? He's saying that because he only does what the Father shows him, in the end, it's the Father's testimony that matters most. It's his verdict about the Son that matters most. But Jesus also knows that, well, maybe the, the Jewish leaders would be more interested in someone else's testimony. So in verses 33 to 35, he talks about the testimony of John the Baptist. I'll give you a chance to look at those verses, verses 33 uh, to 35. Right? Jesus knows, you see, uh, that his father's testimony is weightier than that of John the Baptist. See, it's much more important. Uh, but he also knows the Jewish leaders might take John the Baptist's testimony seriously. And he wants the Jewish leaders to be saved. You see that at the end of verse 33? So in his mercy, he talks to them about what, the John, what John the Baptist said about him. If you've read John's Gospel, you've read some of these things. John the Baptist said, Jesus is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. He said he's the Messiah, God's King, who's going to establish God's kingdom. He said he's God himself, the Bridegroom, coming to be united in love with his people, his Bride. And so Jesus is saying to these people, if you kind of enjoyed the light and truth of John the Baptist's teaching for a while, then why aren't you basking in the light of my truth? Well, you see there, he says that John the Baptist was just a lamp. Why do you burn for a little while and then went out? Jesus says, I'm the, the eternal light of the world. And so you'd think if you were into John the Baptist, you'd be into me too. But Jesus can't take long before he gets back to his father's testimony because it's just the most important. He says his father testifies about him by the works that he's doing. Verse 36. We've talked about those works, all the miraculous signs that we've seen so far in John's gospel. Jesus says, that's the father saying, this is my son who I am working through. Listen to him. And verse 37, he says the father testifies about him. It's not clear exactly in which other ways. We know from later in John's gospel that the father testifies about Jesus by sending sending the spirit who brings glory to Jesus and shows people Jesus. We've seen already that the father testifies about Jesus, his son, by sending witnesses like the Samaritan woman, for example, who told her town all about Jesus. Right, these are the witnesses that Jesus calls in to testify to the truth of what he's saying. 
So it follows that what the Jewish leaders are saying about Jesus is false. He's saying, what I'm saying about myself is true and what you're saying about me is false. And so that's where the passage finishes in verses 37 to 47, where Jesus really gives his verdict upon these Jewish leaders in four different ways, I think. The first in verses 37 and 38 he says, he says to them, you don't even know the Father because you don't accept me, his son. Take a look at those verses. You've never heard the Father's voice, Jesus says, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. Before you do not believe in the one he sent. Pretty radical claim. If you refuse to hear the voice of God in Jesus, his son, Jesus says, you've not heard God's voice at all. If you refuse to see the glory of God in the form of Jesus, his son, then Jesus says, you've not seen God at all. If you refuse to see Jesus as the word of God, right, the one who reveals God to us, to the world, and then Jesus says, the Father's word doesn't dwell in you at all. And Jesus says, you don't know the Father at all. You don't know God at all because you don't accept me, his son. Second, in verses 39 and 40, he says, you don't have eternal life Because even though you diligently study the Bible, the scriptures, which are all about me, you don't come to me. Scathing critique of these leaders. Like they considered themselves to be experts in the Bible. They studied the scriptures diligently, loved getting into all the details of the Bible. But in these verses, Jesus is saying, you've missed the main point. All those details were supposed to point you to me. And yet you've missed me. Instead of coming to me to have eternal life, you run away from me towards death. What are you doing? Verses 41 to 44, he says, you don't accept God's glory that is revealed in me, his son, because you're preoccupied with accepting glory from one another. Particularly verse 44, Jesus says, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. It's actually possible to be so preoccupied with the beautiful and false glories of this world, and seeking the approval and acclaim and adoration of people in this world, uh, so possible to be preoccupied that, that you actually miss the ultimate glory of Jesus, the Son of God, uh, the one who reveals God's glory to us. That's what Jesus is saying. You guys are, are all caught up in looking cool on the horizontal and receiving glory from one another, and you're missing the glory that matters most, the, the glory that was sent, the Son who was sent to earth. By the Father. So in verses 45 to 47, he says, You don't even believe in Moses, uh, who wrote about me and will one day accuse you before God. Remember, it was Moses who first received the law of the Sabbath. That's the context of what Jesus says here. 
These Jewish leaders think we're the ones who are serious about Moses. We're serious about the law of Moses. We're experts in the, like you're the, the kind of reckless lawbreaker. And Jesus says, you, know, you don't know Moses at all because he was writing all about me. And so when it comes to the final judgment, which the Father has entrusted to me, I'm just going to put my feet up because it's Moses who's going to accuse you before my Father, not me. Jesus won't even have to get into action, he's saying. Now, the voice of Jesus, God's son, is powerful in the face of death and judgment. Right? These are the ultimate realities that all of us will face. And the voice of Jesus, God's son, offers us real hope. Real hope at the graveside. Real hope when we're saying goodbye to those we love. For Jesus doesn't just speak nice and comforting and kind words, not just a bunch of sentimental words on a greeting card, but powerful words, words that have the power to give you new life and to declare you innocent before God, not just in the future, but right now today. I wonder if you've heard the voice of Jesus, God's son. Have you received the new life that he offered? That's the other part of the story about my grandma. When I was meeting with her in the hospital, uh, she said, sorry, Aaron, I don't think I'm going to make it to the wedding. But I'm not afraid, she said, because I know where I'm going. Right? She'd heard the voice of Jesus, God's son. He'd given her new life, and she knew she was going to go and be with him, which is better by far. Have you heard the voice of Jesus, God's Son? Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that in this moment, uh, we would be tuned in to the powerful voice of Jesus, your Son. And in so doing, receive the new life that he offers us today and forever. And the assurance of being declared innocent before you. Uh, knowing that our, our sin, once and for all, has been judged in his death on the cross. Uh, it's in his name that we pray. Amen.